the Modern Law Revolution podcast sponsored by the Colorado Bar Association. This is the podcast featuring the successful, happy, and sometimes, and especially today, tech-savvy lawyers who are revolutionizing the practice of law in Colorado. I'm your co-host, J.P. Box. I'm a lawyer turned entrepreneur, consultant, and author, and a past chair of the CBA's Modern Law Practice Initiative. Normally, I'm joined by uh, co-host extraordinaire Erica Holmes, but even Erica needs a break every now and then. So today, uh, I am very excited to be joined by a special guest co-host, Karen Safran. She's a modern lawyer at Goodspeed and Merrill, whose practice focuses on complex commercial litigation and appeals, mediation, and arbitration. She is also a fellow of the Litigation Council of America, which is a trial lawyer honorary society comprised of less than one half of 1% of American lawyers. So Karen, welcome to the pod. Well, thanks, JP. I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to co-host the, uh, the Tech 2.0 episode. I'm going to be relying upon you heavily here as a more tech-savvy person than, than I am. Um, so excited to do this with you. Now, to remind some of our listeners, uh, a few months back, we did a Tech 1.0 episode featuring um, modern lawyers Marty Champagne and Lauren Lester, and they highlighted a number of trends in the legal marketplace and also really talked about how to streamline your practice to make it feel, even if it's a small practice, to make it feel and move like a bigger practice that has a lot of capabilities because of those built-in tech efficiencies. And so today, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into Tech 2.0. Exactly. I mean, this is a deeper dive. We have two incredible modern lawyers with us today who are on the cutting edge of legal tech. Um, we're going to talk about issues from legal apps to AI to blockchain and cryptocurrency. I'm looking forward to understanding what those terms mean here. Um, but before we introduce our guests, Karen, you are also a deep thinker and innovator when it comes to legal tech. Um, looking at a couple of the articles you've authored recently, Robot Esquire, How Artificial Intelligence is Changing the Legal Practice, and also Making Friends with Machines, A Lawyer's Duty to Technological Competence. Um, what got you interested in really throwing yourself into these topics? Yeah, well, you know, it's really kind of, um, I'm of the generation of first adopters of tech. I mean, PCs kind of came into schools right when I was in middle school. So I've kind of watched the world go from and lived um, going from a completely analog world into a digital world. So I've always been just really excited in seeing how tech is changing the way that we live our lives. Um, and also, um, Growing up in an age where my parents and grandparents were always asking me to program the VCR, I realized that I never want to be of that generation. I kind of want to always know what's going on in the world of tech. Um, and, and looking at these titles, making friends with machines, it's, it's better than the Terminator scenario. So what are some of the ways that AI is changing the legal practice? And, and that's a challenge because the legal practice is really one that is resistant to any sort of technological innovation. I mean, the whole premise of the law is we kind of look backwards and do things the way things have always been done. And now, especially with uh, the COVID pandemic, uh, the, the law has sort of been forced to change 
And I think with innovations of AI, we're just seeing ways of allowing lawyers to be more efficient with their time and hopefully then improve their lives because they can use machines to automate some processes. I love it. Um, well, let's bring online our two very special guests. Um, first, we have Yev Muchnik, who's an experienced transactional and securities attorney with a focus on early and growth stage mission forward technology companies innovating across various sectors. Yev is motivated by unconventional companies led by entrepreneurs that challenge the status quo. She herself is an entrepreneur at heart and has recently tested the waters with early state investing. Yev, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. I'm a huge supporter of the Modern Law Practice Initiative and also try to employ it into my practice as a transactional attorney. Also with us is uh, Justy Nickel. She is the tech wizard and visionary at Nickel Gersh Pedersen, the Colorado lawyer team. Uh, when Justy is not troubleshooting IT issues, running a second property management company, or chasing around her young son, Justy also practices criminal law, which I'm told is usually done from horseback via a mobile device. She loves building things and automating her firm's processes. And she can be reached at Justy at colawteam.com. Justy, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate being here and talking about something that's pretty passionate for me, which is automation, automations and using technology to do more with less time, because I have none. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> I said, I, I think I need a nap after just reading your bio. It's impressive. I have a great team and lots and lots of tech tools that help. So I think what we want to touch on, just kind of building on that, is maybe some recent developments in legal tech. And, and Justy, um, wondering you first, and then maybe Yeb can chime in. Just like, what are some apps out there that can help you uh, run your practice more efficiently? So one of the things that I really tried to troubleshoot early on was how to run my firm if I'm not in the office. Because when I was solo, I had like week long trials and like, I can't just shut down the firm for a week and not sign any new cases when that's really, you know, what's keeping us afloat. Um, so I found a way to really use a combination of personnel and technology to help. One of the big things was a VOIP system, even if it's Google voice, I did not want to take two phones with me everywhere I went. And so I really found an app. I, I like Dialpad. Um, I have used Corvum. I have used Keypad. Um, I like Dialpad because of the integrations that it has. But it's um, a download app on my phone, and I can use it to call from my desktop too. So if I'm in front of my computer, I can use it um, just like I would any other app on my computer, but I can also use it on my phone. And I never have to give my criminal defense clients my actual phone number. But I also don't have to then carry a second phone and it integrates with a recorded transcript um, of every call. So I don't even have to take notes of my call. I can just paste the call link for my staff to send out um, engagement letters or follow up directly in our note-taking system. So I really like the VOIP. I liked having a remote receptionist. That's the human part of this as well. Um, I use Smith AI who will text me if I'm in court, like, hey, client called. And then I can even just send back a text and say, return the call. 
and tell them this, um, or I can forward that text or the email that goes with it to my staff to follow up. Our phones are answered 24 hours a day. As criminal defense attorneys, that was something that was really important to us. Although I can't bond you out of jail at 2 a.m. and I will tell you just to call your bondsman. Um, we get leads at all, all hours of the night and on holidays and everything. So being one of the few firms that can say we answer our phones 24 hours a day, 365 days a week or year is important to us. So those two things really helped me. Um, I don't know if Yev, Yev has some ideas as well. Yes, yeah, so I'm actually a, um, a student of Justice. <laughs> We've been on a couple of, of different podcasts and presentations together and she, um, her tools and tips really helped me in terms of um, kind of practice management tools for, for running my firm. And, you know, similar to obviously what, what she said already, integrating across different platforms like my case and um, text to speech and um, just kind of financial tools. But then there are also, as a transactional attorney, um, tools that I'm using, um, AI tools and kind of or, uh, building on NLP to, <laughs> to, to kind of review my contracts to help me in large M&A transactions, for example. Um, there's a, I'll put in a, a plug for a local company here in Colorado called Term Scout, um, and they're a legal tech company that helps uh, in-house legal teams review kind of standard um, publicly pu published contracts. Um, so for like, if you're looking to uh, survey different kinds of cloud service providers they sort of gives you give you that tldr um breakout point on on what you should be looking for so those are i kind of split my approach to um using legal tech whether it's you know to optimize my my practice and then also to op optimize my actual the running of my firm my firm um but i think we'll talk about some more of those tools throughout this podcast I appreciate that. Um, and I, I had an unwelcome flashback to frantically filling out legal pads as I'm, you know, interviewing clients on a phone. So having that automated call log sounds really helpful. Um, my question for uh, either one of you, feel free to take it, is where should a firm start in terms of integrating tech, especially if you're a solo or you're a small firm that doesn't have unlimited resources? What are the places that you think is really smart to start becoming a more tech savvy practice? I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed, um, it, especially if you didn't grow up with technology. Like, you know, some of us, it, it, I remember when I got my first email address. So it, it's not necessarily second nature to a lot of lawyers, but you also don't need to be a lawyer taking coding classes to do this stuff. Like it really is not hard to understand. The big thing that I found was just pick one thing and spend a weekend working it into your firm. The first thing that I would suggest beyond just like figuring out a phone system and who's answering your phones, right? Is gonna be um, your calendaring system. It's usually the easiest thing and it saves so much time never to have to say, even to a colleague, 
back and forth. Oh, when are you free? When are you free? Oh, I'm going to send a doodle poll to figure out when we're both free. Um, it's a waste of time. What I do is I set up different types of appointments on Acuity or other people use Calendly as well. I like both of them. I, I like Acuity a little bit bigger because we're a bigger firm. Um, and I even have like a speaking engagement type link on there. Hey, let's, let's explore doing a podcast. Here's the link, pick a time on my calendar. And I email it to whoever, you know, is reaching out to me. It's in my signature. It's in my intake forms. It's the first, or I'm sorry, the second step on our website for our contact us form, because I hate the WordPress contact us forms. Um, we actually put it directly out, out there for anyone in the public to schedule a call with us anytime. And so you can choose whether you're a new client, an existing client, uh, speaking inquiry, colleague, and our Smith AI receptionist can book you for a guaranteed callback at a specific time with an actual lawyer too. So that is something that clients really do appreciate. Like not only do we answer our phones 24 hour days, you know that you're going to get a call from the lawyer to talk about your case at this time. And we can put you on a cancellation list and try and call you sooner but you are guaranteed this time slot. So I would say calendaring, number one tip that I have. And I would say, just to add, um, you should look in sort of into your existing platforms, right? If you're looking, if you're using DocuSign, if you're using HelloSign, if you're using Clio, um, my case, there's a lot of APIs that, they, that have been developed that integrate into other platforms that make things um, just very easy to uh, adopt and kind of use without racking your brain. So even in Outlook, um, you can add a add-on, an Outlook add-on for Zoom. And so when you are, or Calendly, so when you are scheduling, you just, you click on that button and everything is integrated into the email. Um, so th there's kind of a lot of easy, ex easily accessible, tools that already exist that you don't have to go out looking for and then figuring out how to integrate them into um, new systems. And I would say just start with the list of integrations that Clio has and just look through that and be like, oh yeah, I do, I do use Gmail for Clio, right? Or whatever case management system you're using, my case or whatever platform you're already using since we're talking 2.0. Just get the integrations that are already built into your providers and, and go from there because I have the Gmail Clio integration. I can add time entries directly from my Gmail. Not that I like doing hourly stuff. I mean, we're talking about modern lawyers here, but certain state contracts require <laughs> me to do hourly time entries. <laughs> and so it's just an easy way to load that email directly into the client file without ever having to open a separate browser window and add a time entry right then. Point one, point one, point one. I am really good at not losing any time. So I would suggest just seeing where your existing platforms go. That's a great suggestion. Yeah, I, I think that the, uh, the concept of living our lives in six minute incre increments um, is, uh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> that is a whole different podcast. We'll, we'll just, we'll just let that one go. Um, you know, I was just going to say, you know, the joys of the point one, point two, and being able to multiply everything by six is a skill that's unique only to lawyers. Um, you know, we're, we're living kind of still in a world where we have both digital natives 
and what I've seen the term is digital immigrants. And even with, with digital natives, sometimes uh, tech can be really daunting and really intimidating because there, there sometimes seems like there's just a whole fire hose of tech options out there. So I'm wondering if you have, like, let's make it a little less scary and offer some, maybe some tips of the first steps that you could take if you wanna automate a practice and really how tech savvy or tech literate do you have to be? I really don't think you have to be very tech literate at all. You just have to understand that things, platforms and apps can talk to each other. Um, they can talk to each other directly if you just give them permissions to do so. Everybody, almost everyone at this point has used Facebook. As my younger clients say, you know, you're gotta be old if you're still using Facebook. But um, if you've used Facebook and you've like done one of their quizzes, you have to give permissions and allow them access to your Facebook data. That's as simple as connecting Zapier or Clio or Gmail to a different platform. You just have to allow permissions. So be careful allowing permissions, right? Because we are lawyers and we have confidentiality concerns. I won't get into the ethics too much, but suffice it to say, you should be cognizant of where your confidential data lives, who has access to it and make reasonable efforts to um, protect that data at all costs. I highly recommend a cybersecurity insurance policy. They're cheap, they're easy. Um, your regular insurance broker can quote you on that. And um, really then the after that, it's just deciding where you wanna go first and seeing if they talk directly to each other or if you have to use like a, a translator. Zapier is the translator that most people are using right now. Um, I would say for those that are pretty comfortable and are considered tech literate, that's the next level. So going to Zapier and there's all kinds of YouTube videos out there about how to use Zapier. That's how I learned. Um, but there are also Zapier consultants who will connect things like when someone, and I, you wanted to not be scary, but this, this I'm gonna blow your mind a little bit. Um, when you sign up with us, Zapier connects, like you call Smith AI, Smith AI's API connects to Clio, gives an email to all of my staff, and then loads in a new contact for everyone. That's a native integration. Smith and Clio talk to each other. They don't need a translator, which is Zapier. But sometimes there's not a direct one-to-one -one connection. So you need a translator. What we've also done is when that, when that activity triggers, Smith AI gets a phone call. It's a new lead. I want a new contact to be put in my Google contacts so that my VOIP can recognize and read that. And I don't have to go searching for the phone number when it's time to do my free 30 minute consult. I just type in the client's name and it syncs to my Google contacts. Zapier basically takes the triggering event, which is the Smith AI phone call, collects the data from that new lead, client name, client number, client email, generates a Google contact for me. And then I have all that information at my fingertips because my VOIP connects to Google. Okay, mind so, blown. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's a, that is a simple zap. I have like 18 step zaps where it actually creates our entire new client file, sends an email to the client with the links to their Dropbox file so they can upload things. My staff never even has to draft an email. Um, it's, it's learn Zapier step-by-step step, and there's some tutorials on YouTube. Just Google it. You will be so thankful in the long run. And once you look and see like, oh my God, the possibilities are endless with this. At that stage, the world is your oyster. Go forth, try things. Don't be afraid to fail. And don't be afraid you have to troubleshoot it. It'll be okay. They have great help. They have great help desks. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Mic drop, right? Yeah, there you go. You wanted 2.0. This might be 5.0. Sorry. <laughs> I, I have, I have I, never I seen. Do... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yep. Sorry, JT. I was just going to add that for you know the the digital immigrants, um, a very basic step to familiarize yourself or kind of to test the waters is is to explore some of the podcasts out there and some of the Facebook groups and just that's just a very easy way to um, kind of start understanding or or familiarize yourself with the the terminology that even Justy's throwing out there. But there are some really, really solid podcasts out there, like this one. Um, and there are some good Facebook groups. There's Lawyer Forward. There's Solo and Small Firm. Um, Justy, what is it? Solo and Small Firm Practice Group. There yeah, is, Surviving Solo Small Firm. Yep. There is um, Legal Technology Now is a good podcast. There's a, a ton of uh, really, really good podcasts that that talk about sort of what's trending and and I think give plant those seeds at least <laughs> of how you can um, adopt some of these things into your practice. Um, we'll go ahead and put some of those in the show notes so that our listeners, after they listen to both of you and are motivated and excited to go out and integrate tech into their practices, they can go even deeper with some of those podcasts and Facebook groups. And I would say probably my three favorite are going to be Lawyerist, Maximum Lawyer, and Lawyer Forward. And Mike Whelan is the author of Lawyer Forward and the admin of that group. And he is actually, I think, going to be speaking at this year's Solo Small Firm Conference for the CBA. So be on the lookout for that this summer as well. And I think Smith AI also has a really great academy that they just launched um, half of the battle is just knowing the names like Acuity and Calendly. These aren't marketed towards lawyers like Discovery Genie and some of the other ones, you know, that are specific for lawyers, my case and Clio, like we know those names because we're inundated with them. But some of the best tech out there is the stuff that's meant for everyone, not just for lawyers. And not even knowing right where to find that stuff is, is half the battle. So Smith AI has a great blog um, and all these Facebook groups and podcasts. Just get the creative juices flowing and don't try to do it all at once. Like set yourself mm -hmm. a Saturday aside to pick one thing to work on, whether that's, you know, exploring some Zapier YouTube how-to videos or, you know, listening to a couple podcasts while in my case, I'm riding a horse because um, I don't drive anywhere anymore. That is probably um, the best that you can you can hope for. And then just like, oh, I need to look into this particular technology. I heard that name. It's fantastic. 
Sane Box was one that I heard on a podcast and that kept my life amazing when my partner was yes. out on maternity leave. Oh my God, Sane Box is great because it filters your emails and you can train it to put things in different folders. So your inbox is like not overwhelmed. And then you just check these different folders a couple times a day. How many e-filing notices do I get a day? I don't even know, right? Like I have 80 criminal cases, that's a ton. And it all goes in one folder. My assistant can grab it. I never have to see it. It's fantastic. I, I very much second that. I, uh, I started 2021 with a zero inbox philosophy <laughs> and I've, I've kept to it and it's mid-February, which is pretty impressive. And the same box has really saved me too. Yep. Is it S-A-N-E or S-A-M-E? S-A-N-E. Yeah. Like the like opposite helping. of insane. <laughs> Sanity. <laughs> As I'm, as I'm looking at my insane inbox right now that has 10,000 emails in it that I haven't sorted anywhere, I'm in trouble. Yeah, and back. I'm sure you'll, uh, you'll sign up for that. They've got a free trial that you can uh, see what it, play around with it. Yeah, I have seldom seen people more excited and happy and approachable who have integrated tech into their practices. So thank you for that motivation. Um, <laughs> and just to, to hold on to our listeners, we're gonna take an even deeper dive now into the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. So this is the, uh, you know, the PhD version of legal tech. But before we jump right into blockchain and how it can optimize your legal practice, I need to know what blockchain is. I have this image of an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of entries on it somewhere in this computer cave. Um, but Yev or Jesse, could you please tell me what blockchain is just as an elementary matter? I, I'll jump in on this one and I'll do my best. But um, I think your line of thinking is, is correct, JP, in that it's- There is a computer um, cave. There's a computer cave, there's Quick spreadsheets, <laughs> and that if you add them all together and mix them in a big pot, what you get is um, a decentralized distributed ledger, which is um, kind of builds on the traditional spreadsheet or other ledgers that we're used, we're used to seeing. And so distributed in that context means that no single entity manages the blockchain ledger system on its own. Um, and they're made out of nodes or um, kind of distributed across different computers. So to record transactions, for example, if you think of recording like an A, B, C, and D, you're always, there's redundancies on the previous node. So the beautiful thing about this, this web 3.0 technology is that it can ensure compliance and transparency and it's kind of hardwired into this, into this layer of technology, which is immutable, right? And immutable is it can't be tampered with. So if we start thinking kind of globally as to all of the kind of the benefits that this technology can have across, not just our everyday lives, but, um, but as, as legal practitioners, right? In real estate, you can record property records for intellectual property. You can record um, IP ownership, copyrights, trademarks, what have you. Um, just even state, you know, Colorado Secretary of State when you're 
setting up a business, all of, and it, it's just, it's immutable, which is, is somewhat mind blowing. Um, and then, and on top of that, it allows you as a practitioner to preserve client confidentiality because you're safeguarding it on the blockchain. Okay, so is that with, was that uh, too much, or was that? I think an I'm, example I'm might be helpful. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, so we actually DocuSign, for example, has is built uh, utilizes blockchain. Um, when you're getting those electronic signatures, they're already stamping it on a, a blockchain. And so if you were, I'm not a litigator <laughs> at all, but I guess if you were to go to, um, to court and you were tried to try to defend the authenticity of a electronic, electronic signature, you'd be able to use the kind of immutab immutable nature of the blockchain to prove or to authenticate it. Interesting. Okay, so we have a listener out there who's re-listened to this two-minute segment four times and now completely understands blockchain. <laughs> and that person is interested in figuring out how blockchain can optimize his or her legal practice. So how does that next step happen? Yep, so again, um, depending on what area you practice in right if it's if it's real estate or if it's ip or if it's in logistics it's um kind of tuning into or even um there's quite a few that that that, that kind of go at contract management as well and being able to um kind of write those or put those contracts on chain so there's a number of companies out there and i can certainly share resources um after our podcast, um, but really it's, it's just figuring out what would be appropriate for your area of practice and then how that could ensure that um, getting whatever information you need to on the chain and making sure it's, it's there forever. Um, so, and then another kind of offshoot that has developed out of uh, blockchain and sometimes confused for legal contracts is called a smart contract. The smart contract is um, is built on blockchain technology. They're self-executing contracts that are written by code rather than by lawyers, and they're binary. So, for example, if I pay Justy five dollars, she will give give me something, a horse, for in an exchange, and they're kind of self-executing without any kind of negotiation. But it's sort of it's creating this cottage industry as a result for practitioners as well, because it allows them to audit um, smart contracts and then mediate them as well in the event of disputes on chain, online. Um, so kind of a, a whole new practice industry that's emerging out of this Web 3.0 technology. And I would just jump in there and say, as someone who works both in the real estate space and in the legal space, you know, I, I was really excited to see e-notary becoming a thing um, with the with the COVID pandemic, but I'd been using DocuSign and HelloSign for client engagement letters for six years. Um, the big thing for me was I wanted to be able to work from home six years ago, and when COVID hit, it was no big deal for me. Um, we actually have all of our forms already loaded into our case management. We use Clio Grow, and I can actually set up a whole task list on one click 
for my client or for my assistant to send a DocuSign or HelloSign contract directly to the client and have the client sign it. Not only that, but we can also send copies to other people that need to do need to go. So things like releases, um, we can send a courtesy copy as soon as the client signs a release to former counsel, which does happen quite a bit in the criminal defense space. Um, HIPAA releases, same sort of thing. We get automatic notification when the client signs that. They don't have to like print and sign and scan. And it's just, it's so much faster. It's instantaneous. And when I tell clients, all you got to do is click to sign, click to pay me. And we're up and running within 24 hours. They're like, really? I don't have to meet with you? Like this other attorney down the street? I'm like, no, I'll take care of your entire case on Zoom. <laughs> Especially traffic cases. You never even have to come to court. I will handle that. <laughs> so it's, it's just like, it's commonplace in other parts of life for especially the younger generations. So it was really nice for me to tell my clients, like I can meet you where you're already at and you can do this on your phone. You don't even have to have a computer. And a lot of my lower paying clients too. I'm like, just text me a screenshot if you can't figure it out. Like that's totally fine. And it just, it blows other attorneys' minds that I'm signing cases while I'm sitting in court and they're playing Angry Birds. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm doing it all on mobile. DocuSign has a mobile app. Clio has a mobile app. The smart contracts, you know, I don't do a whole lot of drafting and transactional work, but it's a game changer for those of my colleagues who do. It really is. And I just, just in, in all fairness, I did want to cover some of the other industries just so that if we're doing this um, deep dive into blockchain, but some that are kind of really hot in the news at the moment are decentralized finance and fintech. So you're seeing payments processing on the blockchain, uh, banking and lending, insurance, capital markets, um, securities issuances. That's been in the news for the last couple of years that you're, you're having you know, the whole cap table on a blockchain as well and uh, issuing those kind of company assets from off of your internal or like a, a permission blockchain. There's permission and permission lists for public blockchains. Um, in the energy sector, there's carbon credits that are managed on the blockchain, all sorts of new business models um, that have arisen. And just as practitioners, you can hone in on music, um, as I mentioned earlier, IP, being able to remove the, the middle person from music sales and streaming, um, supply chains, diamond tracking, food safety, wine, coffee, um, healthcare as well, medical records. Um, and then the government as well as slowly but surely, especially here in Colorado, our, our government is incredibly progressive and we have a whole um, office of information technology that has been kind of um, in blockchain committees that have arisen out of the current administration looking at digital IDs and voting and creating sandboxes for, um, for, for the private sector to come in and play and, and, and focus on education, procurement, all sorts of stuff. So it's really exciting, this space, and uh, you can tell how excited I am, but, but you, can, you can use it for your practice to make your practice efficient. It's another layer of technology, but you could also um, sort of develop a new practice area for yourself as a practitioner in which to advise on. I think all of the, um, all the tech coming in and coming into financial um, segments kind of is the jumping off point to the next topic that always seems to kind of go hand in hand with blockchain. 
it seems like you can't hear about blockchain without also hearing about cryptocurrency. And just also, you know, if you wouldn't mind like quickly explaining like what cryptocurrency is, and it's been all over the news lately with uh, Tesla's announcement that it was investing $1.5 billion into cryptocurrency. So just like the, the quick, like 30,000 foot level of what is cryptocurrency? And then you know, can lawyers accept cryptocurrency as payment? Yeah, good question and good segue. Um, and I'll just add that I've been in the space for about four years, four or five years or so now. And <laughs> I keep getting after that came out and um, the the price of Bitcoin has shot up to close to 50,000 now. <laughs> I keep getting messages from colleagues asking whether I'm quitting my my law practice and whether I've made all of the, the Lambos and the money off of my, my crypto investments and being paid in crypto. So the answer, the short answer to that is, um, yes, you can be paid in cryptocurrency as an attorney and cryptocurrency is um, a digital asset that's built on the blockchain. Two of the most popular ones are Ethereum, the Ethereum blockchain and the, um, the Bitcoin blockchain, but there's all these other altcoins um, as, they're, as they're known, which are, are not as popular, but basically that companies can create and, um, and distribute on their own blockchains and then put into exchanges where other people can buy them. But um, I think that the general cons consensus on um, lawyers accepting cryptocurrency is that yes, you can, even though there are still some outlier states, so you'd have to check with your own jurisdiction. I think the um, North Carolina came out and said, that Bitcoin is shady money and uh, lawyers accepting Bitcoin are shady lawyers. <laughs> so, um, but that's you know, kind of, as it's evolved, we know that that's not the case anymore. Um, I, Colorado, I think came out with an ethics opinion as well to say that you can accept cryptocurrency if you're holding it. Um, a lot of it depends on how your jurisdiction or state uh, categorizes cryptocurrency, whether it's property, and if it's property and you're receiving that property in advance, um, you have to safeguard it as you would any other property. You can't really hold property in a Coltaf or IOLTA account. So you just have to have kind of reasonable measures in the way that you're, um, they're holding onto it. And then if it's unearned fees, again, same principles apply, but the best practices are to, um, to, to exchange that fee in a, at the prevailing rate of that day. And then also to be very mindful about how you're um, disclosing the handling of cryptocurrency in your engagement letters and tax obligations and any kind of um, know your client requirements um, that need to be uh, disclosed in advance. But generally, lawyers uh, don't really have those KYC requirements. Um, so if, if sort of it originated the that the cryptocurrency originated from some kind of uh, shady source, if you will, then um, on the one hand, you kind of have to be mindful of that, but you, you don't have kind of the same KYC requirements as a bank does. Also, does I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jump in there and just say, all of my clients are shady because I have criminal defense clients. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, to, to highlight a thing there, if you're dealing with um, trust accounting, my understanding is you cannot accept cryptocurrency um, simply because you, just, you, you have to exchange it. it. 
Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to take it that day and put it in us currency and put it in your bank account for, for Coltaf purposes. Um, so you can't hold it in crypto. Now, the lawyers that I know that are accepting it are doing more transactional stuff, less trust accounting, flat fees paid after the fact. So the money's already earned. You do that kind of work. Hell yeah. Take crypto. <laughs> like, I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, Yev, have you quit your law practice yet? <laughs> I have not quit my law practice and I'm biting myself all the time, but I, I have accepted cryptocurrency as payment, um, but <laughs> I am not quitting my law practice anytime soon <laughs> we can say that to me I, it's no different too than like uh, my drug dealers that are my clients <laughs> have this is big old brick of cash they're like can I meet you and give you cash and I'm like absolutely and I take it directly to the bank and I'm like please tell me this is real <laughs> so I mean it's no it's no different than than cash from, from my purposes, but, uh, eventually we'll get there. Uh, trust accounting exactly. is a problem. So, yeah. And then just, but there are no blockchain money. for, uh, th there is no blockchain for blocks of cash. Mm -mm. Nope. It's not trustworthy at all, <laughs> but you can, I mean, you can't there. I mean, there's, there kind of emerging, ways in which you can safeguard that property. So there are wallets um, that you can kind of have as a firm to hold on to, to certain property. And you just have to make sure that the security is there. They're multi-signature digital wallets. And um, there's hot wallets and cold wallets that ensure additional security. But I won't, I won't kind of go deeper into that because I think that'll probably confuse some of the listeners. But just to say that again, fees paid in advance um, must be earned. Um, otherwise, they need to be exchanged to be held in a in a trust account. So it's the trust account that is the big issue. So anything that doesn't involve a trust account, we should be on solid grounds. Yep, that's right. We talked a little bit about smart contracts, and that's that also seems to be like the next wave coming in of uh, artificial intelligence and how it is assisting lawyers in their practice. Um, is there a third, or I think we've mentioned here in this pod, or maybe up to a fifth wave of, of legal tech coming? And, and you know, what, what are we looking at? What are we looking for? So I think um, what, you, what you're seeing is that startups and technology companies are realizing that basically lawyers are an untapped market. And so they're starting to develop things that are geared towards attorneys that have like our confidentiality requirements in mind, um, just like the wallets are coming in for more security with, with crypto. Um, you have other things like some up and coming startups challenging Westlaw and Nexus, Lexus Nexus on legal research. You know, we have Fast Case and Case Text are two big ones, Case Maker as well. Um, we recently saw the kind of the pushback from more traditional legal research companies because Ross was an AI based um, legal research company that has now been basically sued into oblivion by Westlaw. I think their last day operating was January 31st because they're in a giant lawsuit and I don't think that any legal tech startup has the funds to go against Westlaw. I mean, we've all tried to break a Westlaw contract. It's not easy. 
Um, so there's, there's things out there that are coming, but there's still so much pushback and it's just like what we experience. I know I experienced this in my industry. I announced a new partnership with, um, we partnered with hello divorce and, um, there was tons of pushback. People were saying, how dare you bring, you know, basically what amounts to legal zoom into Colorado. And I'm like, people are already doing this anyway. Like consumers already don't want to pay lawyers. So finding a way to help those consumers who are intelligent enough to do this on their own, who can't find where to file things because the state judicial um, website is completely out of date, who just need somebody to look over the standard forms, you know, and, and just get a little bit of help. Not everyone needs a $4,000 divorce case. You know, it's, it's not that big of deal. And to make sure it's done right the first time, why wouldn't you get on board with that technology and help more people for less? I mean, it's all about the consumer and the client. So there's pushback from those traditional legal, um, not just, you know, at the macro scale with Wessel and Ross, but also on the individual lawyer scale. So if you're pushing the bounds on what technology can do, just be prepared for that. Our industry is not really in a way right now to adopt all of it. It's one thing to have Zoom, WebEx, and Teams come in and just shake everything up in these last, you know, 12 months for online court. It's something completely different to be like, oh yeah, now a robot's going to handle, you know, resetting my case. Eventually we'll get there. Um, keep pushing the bounds. Like that's, that's where I'm at. I want to, I want to break things down. So that's just my soapbox. I can go on a whole different podcast for that. <laughs> Well, this, this, this is the podcast and the place to push bounds because I, I do feel like we're, as an industry, um, we are you know, steeped in precedent and looking backwards, as Karen pointed out, to start the podcast. And so having that forward-looking vision for what's possible and what's next, I think, is sorely missing. Um, one follow-up that I wanted to ask, um, and we've touched upon it a little bit, but I wanted to take a, a little deeper dive into it is the notion of smart contracts. And so when I was practicing law, I did mainly commercial litigation, but I did some transactional work. And the version of smart contracts I had was just searching our document management system for similar types of contracts and then cutting and pasting bits into it. So tell me how much smarter are smart contracts than uh, my early days uh, transactional work. So it, it, as I mentioned earlier, it, it could be a little bit of a misnomer depending on which which groups you're <laughs> you're you're kind of pushing that that term into. So the smart contracts um, in the context of blockchain, right, are just our code. They're not actual contracts. They're not, but th even though they're they're self-executing and there's you know code that allows you to do. X and Y, but smart contracts, smart legal contracts, right? Um, more kind of appropriately defined or termed are, are becoming smarter. There is kind of this, this deeper machine learning that is, um, that's getting smarter and smarter the more, the more technology that we have. So um, you can pull, not only can you pull contracts that, um, that auto-populate, right? That you can you can push out to clients or push out for big deals and not have to sort of reinvent the wheel, but you're building on existing forms, you're building on various inputs. Um, but then also just combining like the 
the the AI and the the actual practitioners. So you, you you're not. I, I don't, my position is that we're never going to get rid of the, the kind of the legal brain and the value of um, of having a person and their kind of strategic um, lens on on how to proceed in a transaction, for example. And while technology can bolster that we still sort of need to have this big picture um, especially given all of the parties involved so I don't know if that answers your question JP but smart contracts are smarter and smart legal contracts are, are more efficient um, and whether you're doing you know standard form operating agreements or shareholders agreements to large um, merger agreements um, I think we're, we're becoming a lot more efficient and not having to um, start from scratch anymore. I will just jump in there and say, I don't do a whole lot of um, smart contracts necessarily, but my, my general rule of thumb is things need to be more efficient because I have zero time and I don't want to have to type the same email three times. So one of my other little tech tips I'm going to throw in here, similar to Sanebox, I love text expander. I heard that on a podcast too. And the rule of thumb is if I type it three times, there needs to be a snippet. So I can type, for example, um, my filing system uses the same date format. And I just type the word Z date and it fills in the date format every single day. So I don't ever have to remember what day it is. And I can save my documents with that. Um, my staff love it. We do everything from just the date to full on emails, hey, go fill out this intake form. And all you have to do is build a text expander snippet. So similar to smart contracts, it can save you a ton of time on things that are repetitive. And I just love, love text expander. This makes me kind of want to put both of you on the spot. Um, a lot of themes, a lot of themes to today have been um, I think the practice of law is like, congratulations, it's finally entered the 20th century, and here we are in the 21st century. So we have that, that clash of, of real cultures. And as Jesse, you talked about Ross, um, which I saw and that was shocking and sad when it folded because it was really an exciting platform. Um, so we have that clash of the old guard versus the, the new wave. Um, but with that, because there are so many tools that are available to us, and this is gonna be maybe tough for you, Justy, pick one thing. What is the one AI tool that you said, if only I had learned about this sooner, I wish I'd integrated this into my practice sooner. Just one. Um, I think, and I saved the best one for last. Like I knew this question was coming too. So um, the best thing I did was standardize my intake forms and put that form on the website. And it has controlled how much time I waste on intakes. I'm not, I can look at the way somebody fills out the 10 questions that I have. Um, and I can say, this client doesn't have any money. Let's refer them out, send them the PD application. Or this client, you know, is just looking for free legal advice. Um, it weeds through so many like potential clients that have no business talking to me. I don't do trust in estates. You know how many times I get called for trust in estates? Used to be a lot more, <laughs> but now we have the standard requirement and it is type form and Google forms is a different one, but I really like type form. And what I have found is that has let me scale as well. 
So not only do I have like the standard 10 questions that I used for criminal defense, now I have a family law practice as well. You can literally do a choose your own adventure with logic jumps. So I'm not asking clients who are in the family law, I need a divorce when their next criminal court docket is. You know, so they, they choose at the beginning what type of case they're doing. And now we have animal cases and DIY stuff as well. And you can kind of filter down this decision tree in a way that clients really get you information upfront in their own words or, and we use it with our receptionist as well. It's on our website as well. No matter how you find us, you do this two-step process, 10 questions on type form, book a call with us on Acuity. It's a game changer. So I really, I really do think the intake forms are where it's at and automating your intake with a CRM and with, sorry, that's a second one. Um, <laughs> use a CRM uh, and, and use a, use a, a, t- a smart form. I like type form myself. It's, it seems like a very approachable, less tech scary if I just automating your intake, intake forms. Intake is the place that I would start. Yep. Yeah. How, how about you, Yev? Is, is, there, is there one thing that you really wish you had implemented earlier? I hate to be a copycat and to be very basic, but it's, it's going to be tight form as well. Um, it's just creating those questionnaires for, um, for legal due diligence, for setting up an entity and being able to reuse them. Um, I've used Typeform a lot in, in trying to create those uh, those systems for for my firm. We have consensus. <laughs> um, well, I do want to pose one last question to both of you, and that's this one's about legal tech fatigue or tech fatigue in general. Um, I was reading Outside Magazine yesterday, and they had a book recommendation, a bedtime fantasy for grownups, and it's called Off the Day the Internet Died. And so there is part of us that we love being plugged in. We love what tech can do for us, but there are times when we wish for an analog world. So how do we avoid tech fatigue setting in and dreaming about the day the internet died? You just can't go back. I don't know, once you know something, I don't think you can get, you know, zapped like in the matrix, right? (laughs) But it just... It's um, avoiding tech fatigue is a topical issue. There's so much out there, but knowing how much is possible, I guess, from somebody who already sort of lives in that world, um, it's not not going back. It's just figuring out ways to sift through it. And I think some of the tips that we gave um, earlier on in the podcast is really the way to navigate it, joining other forums, listening to podcasts, getting together with sort of local um, colleagues that are on the same trajectory and pathway and you could kind of geek out over Zoom coffee with on on what they're doing. Um, But I think that like just seeing how limitless this kind of the, the opportunities are in this space, you just you can't zap that out of, out of your memory or your conscience. I think my thing is less trying to forget it and more trying to control it. Um, so I have a couple of 
practical tips and this is more like productivity hacks probably than anything else. Um, I turned off all my mobile notifications, all of them. Like I don't, cause I run so much on social as well. Like I don't want Facebook messenger working. I don't want Twitter blowing me up. You know, I've had a couple of posts go viral and stuff and it's like, okay, that's great. But um, I want to do it when I want to check it. I have very cognizant of like, this is the time I have set aside for, for social media. Do I always follow that? No. But I also am a big fan of the do not disturb function after a certain time period. Um, only certain people can call me. Like that's a big thing. So turn off mobile notifications, set the do not disturb. I put time limits on my iPhone, but I also put them on Chrome where um, I have to consciously click to get through to some of these sites. So I, I like mindful browsing for, um, for Chrome, which is a nice little Chrome extension. It has a Pomodoro timer built in as well. I have a Pomodoro timer for periods of um, intense focus and then you get up and take a quick break. Intense focus and take a quick break. And that's really helpful for me. Um, I also like time blocking a little bit, although I am still learning how to do it successfully. <laughs> but it keeps me, I'm really cognizant of like the switching cost in my mind. Like I think the studies show that if you're answering your own phone, um, it takes you something like 20 minutes to go back to whatever brief you were writing at the time that the phone rang. So the interruptions are something we deal with on a, on a daily basis. And it's well studied by psychologists and psychiatrists. And I think we have something to learn from those other industries where, you know, doctors, when you call a doctor, you're not getting the doctor directly. You're getting his nurse. If that, you're probably getting a voicemail line. I don't think I would go that far, but you know, I, I think I, we have ways to do this better and being really mindful about our time, how much we can give to tech um, and then taking advantage of the help desks at any place that you're using those apps. They're really, really helpful. Um, yeah, I can build my own CRM, but quite honestly, Clio Grow works just as well for me, um, especially when I have seven people that I have to troubleshoot for. Um, so I purposely try to turn it off and do not disturb as my friend. It's on, on my watch right now. Do not disturb because I'm here with you guys. <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. And just a big thank you, Justine and Yev, for sharing your expertise and also your enthusiasm and your approachability to really hopefully get more of us excited about tech. And thank you for making the process seem more accessible and a little less scary than it may have before. Um, and I also wanted to thank our guest co-host, Karen, for stepping in and carrying the, uh, the tech heavy load on this podcast with me. Um, and I also wanna remind our listeners, we have a How to Start a Revolution helpline so if you have any questions for our presenters today or any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, we want to hear about it. So call the Revolution Hotline, leave us a message, and we'll actually play your message on the next podcast and hopefully provide you with an answer. Uh, make sure to leave your name and the name of your firm or organization so everyone knows where they can find our fellow revolutionaries. The phone number is 303-824-5399. Again, that's 303-824-5399.
you've got questions, we've got answers. So give us a call and continue the conversation. I just want to echo JP. Thank you, Justy. Thank you, Yev. Thank you, JP, for having me today. And thank you, everyone, for joining the Modern Law Revolution podcast.